Welcome to a very special episode of our podcast. It's not the entitled show. Uh, it's actually a, a rebroadcast of a special presentation, our Tiki TV special presentation for Black History Month. Uh, wasn't it a great show, Andy? I thought it was great. Yeah, I, I always love these uh, these specials and you know hearing different voices and different perspectives on the industry. It's fantastic. And for those who've been following us in the uh, you know for the last year. Um, you know, we're doing a little bit something different this year for our various months, our awareness months. We're partnering with the Big Break Foundation, a nonprofit that's focused on uh, inclusive inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility in our industry, which is fantastic. And Monet, we have you here today. Well, hello, Monet. Hello, Andy and Patrick. Thank you so much for having me. So, is there anything you'd like to say to tee up this episode uh, before we roll it? I I'm just so thankful uh, for Sarah, uh, who hosted the episode, and then Summer, who was our producer, to help put the show together. Um, and then our wonderful guests, Free Forge and Dam, and Nick Taylor. They were absolutely phenomenal staples within this industry and being able to bring their perspective and lived experiences and love for the industry all together. I think it was an incredible episode, and I'm just happy we had the opportunity to come together all right well give it a listen and of course to get in touch with the big break foundation go to bigbreakfoundation.org uh to get involved there's a lot of great things going on you can like subscribe across social media uh, and all that but otherwise enjoy the show Hello, and welcome to our Black History Month special episode of TETV, presented by the Big Break Foundation. My name is Sarah Beale Sager, and we strive to amplify, enlighten, and celebrate inclusion through storytelling and authentic conversations. We're just going to jump right into it today, which is a very special day in Black History Month. It is also Valentine's Day, so don't forget to love each other. Our first guest, her name is Free Virginda. Uh, she is the Chief Development Officer for MyCoTu Incorporated, a global leader in themed entertainment, live events, and immersive brand experiences. Free has been featured in Forbes, Fast Company Magazine, Essence, Minted.com, KTLA, Fox, and she's here with us today. Uh, MyCoTu was awarded top prizes for Clio and Cannes, Lions Gold for the South by Southwest, South by Southwest World exhibit that she had with her company. Um, our second guest is Nick Taylor. He is the founder of Mastermind Studios. He is the principal designer and creative director. Uh, Nick Taylor is the principal designer at Mastermind Studios, a themed entertainment design and build firm. He has over 20 years experience in the filmed entertainment industry. And we are so happy to have you both here today. How are you? Hi. 
Happy Black History Month. Happy Black oh, is that what's happening? Is that what's happening this month? That is right now. We're two weeks in. Oh, wow. let's, let's talk about that intro. That intro was, that was a high bar. There was- Right? I don't know if you had the same intimate, Nick. I was like, oh my gosh, all those people on there. Are, am I on the right interview? Like, should I? Yes, you are. I don't know if you like heard your intro. Yes, you guys are a big deal. Oh boy, brush is on, brush on. All right. Yes, and we are here, yes. It's okay, we can take the pressure off of you directly, your careers for just a little bit. Let's talk about Black History Month in general. Like, what was your experience with Black History Month in the past, growing up? What do you think about it when you think about Black History Month? Great question. I'm processing everything. I think, I mean, I'll jump in. I have a, an interesting connection with it. Um, I didn't grow up in the U.S. I grew up in Cameroon. Um, so Black History Month was every day. It was Black History life. Like you just, that's how you celebrate it. You woke up in the morning and you went to school and you, you strove for excellence because immigrants are all about 100% or bust. Um, and you just were in family and culture and language and music um, and all of that was just part of your upbringing of anything. It was coming to the U.S. where all of a sudden you realize you weren't the majority, not everyone looked like you, not everyone understood your accent um, or understood where you came from and you now had to sort of justify your worth or your existence um, by A, knowing who you were. And so my intro to Black history was later in life. It was in my teenage years when I moved to the U.S. when I had to honestly learn about African-American history, which was very different from West African history, specifically Cameroonian history, and to kind of relearn um, a very important part of our collective existence that I honestly wasn't as familiar with. Um, and so we can talk about that in a second, but that was my sort of intro or upbringing with Black History, it was just part of life and I had to learn it into my teens. But Nick, I don't know if you had a different experience. Um, I love that story. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, growing up in the US, Black History Month was, it was the time where you had to be a Black History character, be it, you know, Rosa Parks with Jackson 5 or, or uh, you know, um, George Washington Carver, and you were that you were that character for the remainder of the month. Uh, between you know being called on to stand up and read passages during Black History Month in school, or putting on performances, or you know lift every voice and sing, which is a very very long song. Um, <laughs> and you had to hit that pitch. Had to hit exactly. that note. <laughs> exactly. It, it was one of those things where you. I don't know. For personally, it was. It just felt like, why is this not a thing we're doing all the time? Why are we just doing this in the month of February? Um, but I was also fortunate enough to, you know, start my education at a predominantly black private school where we did have a lot of black history throughout the year. So that was fantastic. Um, as my education advanced, it was definitely a complete switch and opposite of that, where I was at predominantly uh, white schools and definitely had to, you know, 
represent an entire race by myself, which is a lot of pressure, but I pulled it off. I did it. I think I think I represented this pretty well. So, yeah, I mean, here we are in February, shortest month of the year, celebrating the accomplishments and the trials and tribulations of African-Americans. Yeah, I, I also went to a predominantly white school and it was just it's it's different. It's different, y'all. Right. <laughs> Black History Month, those 28 days, that's like all you get sometimes. And that's I'm better. shy. <laughs> well, did you, did you feel a sense of pressure, like the kind of pressure that's actually debilitating, where you are expected to not only be the mouthpiece, the ambassador, the spokesperson, the, uh, the, tele, the teleprompter journalist, to be on, on pulse with every bit of information or pop culture or history, um, but you were also expected to kind of encompass what is black excellence, you know, in a way that has to do with how you behave, how you present, what you know. Sometimes I found it just like almost too much to handle. And I think it's just the pressure of condensing history into like, you know, 28 day period or 29, if you're lucky on the, every fourth year or whatever. Um, but it just, it, when you're when you're coming of age and you're too busy trying to figure out your your own identity and where you fit and and whether it's okay to have a passion and creativity as opposed to all the other sort of conventions, adding the other element of knowing yourself four hundred plus years back actually more if you want to go beyond slavery, it was just a lot of pressure and I and I find that I think I may still be dealing with that in my immediate love and resistance to having that spotlight um, put on me in any situation. And I don't know if anyone feels similar or different. Yeah, I think Nick, you're, you're definitely not that. wrong. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're not wrong. There is that sense of pressure and uh, spotlight on you. If the topic of African-Americans or Black people even comes up, I think, especially going to a predominantly white school, it was like, look, if you don't want to talk about it, we don't care anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Um, mm -hmm. but now in my adult life, it's, there's definitely that awkward silence in those eyeballs when someone black or African-American says something and then everyone kind of like looks at you like, is, is that okay? Are we, are we, are we doing okay? <laughs> you're like, it, it doesn't, it's fine. I, I guess just don't say anything offensive and you're okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot, I, I think inside and outside of the community to, you know, I, I think with people who are outside of the, the black community, there is that pressure to know a lot and, and recite a lot and be a mouthpiece. And then inside the community, there's a, there's a lot of pressure to know your history, know your roots, you know, represent your people. And it's just like, I, I just, I want to do both and I want to do both really well. And it's a lot mm -hmm. of pressure. And I just want to like, I just want to eat. I just want to like... <laughs> Snap <laughs> and just do regular things without, but but you don't have that luxury, you know, so, twice as hard, half as far. So, yeah, <sighs> yeah. Oh, well, now I, not even luxury. The term now is privilege. Correct. Oh, wow. Right. I mean, it's it's that we don't have that privilege. Um, mm. But that's chapter two of this discussion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we there's a lot we could unpack there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, lots of lots of Black history, and I mean everything up to like this moment is history. So, like that 
that's a lot of human time, right. so much. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but we could talk about the present. You guys want to move into the present a little bit? Like history is great, but present is now. Um, one thing that happened extremely recently was the Super Bowl. That was, that was yesterday. <laughs> How do we feel about that Super Bowl halftime show? Okay, can we just can we just start first with the fact that if we were having the same conversation, what three four years ago, um, which seemed like a very different, well, maybe not even three, two, in the height of what it means to just take a knee, what it means to merge public persona with platform, with activism, with sports entertainment, with high level capital dollars. Um, you know, there was such a different kind of discourse, discussion I think that's happening, which was really, why are we giving money to this with our eyeballs, with our ad dollars, with our consumption? And I just feel a little bit like that kind of just went away. Um, no one's really talking about it. I'm not seeing it in the in the collective consciousness. In full disclaimer, I did not watch the Super Bowl. Um, and I think the truth is I probably wouldn't had I known it was happening, but I chose to go see a play. Um, even that said, I, you know, I was rushing to watch it. And it's for that reason of have we forgotten how all the dis- the disparities that are existing currently right now with sports entertainment, specifically with the NFL as an institution, as as a business, and whose story is being told, who actually benefits from it, how does that all of a sudden not become part of the talking point because we had a stellar lineup of LA's finest, you know, or rather Southern California's finest, we'll keep it a little bit more high level. Right. Um, but I just, I don't know, I was a little torn because I wanted to love the beauty that that was going to be on stage, I really wanted to support it. But part of me just felt torn, and I suspect that's that's consistent with a lot of other issues that affect, you know, African Americans, but specifically just people in the diaspora. Regardless, it's how when do you put your activism and your passion aside for just some good old fashioned entertainment? Like, when is when is that not appropriate, and when is it absolutely mandated? I, I'm I'm still on the fence about it. So I don't know. I was torn. I was torn about. The Super Bowl. Yeah, it's definite. Like, I think that can be said for a lot of like spectacular entertainment. It's like, when do you take the win, and when do you say, mm, "Got some questions. Could have been better. Let's do a critique." Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I think it's a double-edged sword because you definitely want to be be picky with how you spend your money and give your attention and and where you direct your eyeballs. And at the same time, if you choose to not watch or skip, then, you know, certain people have the platform of saying, look, we gave you a shot and 12 people watched. So why would we do it again? And you're like, okay, that's fair. (laughs) Uh, I get that. But at the same time, we didn't watch because of a certain reason. And it's like, no, no, I I hear what you're saying. And yet the numbers don't lie. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. As far as the NFL goes, there is, yes, there's definitely... There's definitely some controversy there. There's a lot happening. I think part of what what happened to address the inequity was, you know, making Jay Z director of entertainment really was supposed to be a a uh, a, a treaty or, or a respite from what we had seen before. 
Um, and, and honestly, the NFL, unfortunately, is a lifeline for a lot of individuals that of color that wouldn't necessarily have another path to move yeah. forward. So you, yes, you want to face certain things. You want to take a knee. You want to, to address the inequities. Nope. Sorry. You want to address the inequities. And at the same time, you don't want to take away opportunities from others. Yeah. That's so it's, it's a tight rope to walk. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's extremely complicated and I don't think we'll solve it this Black History Month. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it ties directly into theme entertainment, right? Because you want to take your experience, you want to take your background, your history, your culture, and you want to impart it into the projects you're working on, the stories you're telling. And at the same time, you're battling those saying, how come everything you say is always about Black people? Mm -hmm. like, well, how come more of your stories are about black people? If you would say it more, I wouldn't have to say it. <laughs> um, and so we're, you know, I think we're still in our professional careers trying to find a balance between being ourselves, being represented, being heard, but also not having to be the the ensign or the flag bearer for an entire culture. But I don't. It's it's a lot. It's a it's a it's a lot. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I so agree with you. And I think part of the challenge is you recognize excellence when you see it. And excellence isn't something that you have to explain. If you're explaining, you're failing, right? So you know it, you see it, you feel it, and you buy in because it makes you feel good. You want to be part of that culture. You want you feel inspired by it. That is pretty much all of Black entertainment and Black culture. We are the foundation of what makes things cool. We redefine the, the benchmark for what what's the bar that you need to attain in order to be considered, you know, you've arrived or whatever. And it's a it's a big shoe to fill, but it's also a collective thing that sometimes is just innate um, and other times has a lot to do with how hard you're working and all these other factors. But that said, I think part of the challenge, whether it's in themed entertainment, even going back to the NFL, part of that recognition is saying, if this is the baseline on which we're all Thriving, right? We are all having a good time because of this music. We are all en enlightened because of this design or because of this story or because of this look and feel. Then why isn't the compensation also reflected in that? So let's move NFL aside. Let's come back to theme entertainment. How? Let, let, and that's theme parks. That's brand experiences. That's museums. That's aquariums. That's zoos. Why isn't the? Why aren't the stories that we're telling, which we know? people thrive off of, people want more of. Why aren't those stories being created by more diverse schools? Why aren't the stories that are being told representative of more diverse uh, uh, cultures? Um, it started with black people, but just in, in general. And if we don't put value to the things that actually are the catalyst for revenue in so many levels, then it, it, is, a, it is a double edged sword. It will continue to be a complicated relationship with, of where do you draw the line between what is black and what is universal? And and we know that it is there is no line. Black history is American history. Black culture is American culture. But yet somehow it we pick and choose. We meaning the collective of our industry pick and choose when it's considered black versus when it's when it's something that we can all profit from. I think that's a great point. How do we walk the line? On, I know I'm not the, the host here, so I don't want to ask too many questions. Uh, how do we walk the line between our stories being told and represented versus appropriation? Uh, 
and, and now now or 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 tokenizing um and it's like yeah. it's so great to hear to see black stories and hear black stories and then the way you the way it's presented the way it's told you're like that's not quite how i pictured that story coming out <laughs> a little more uh cartoonish than i was hoping for yeah. um there's there's a lot there's a lot to unpack and, and be said around you being able to tell your own story um yeah. you know and not necessarily being grateful for the fact not being ungrateful but not be, being just grateful for the fact that there's one black princess i'm not gonna say what kind of princess. i'm just gonna say princess <laughs> uh, we know cook. so a businesswoman also potentially going to tsd because of all the stress that she's exhibiting um she's a princess which is fascinating um but yeah i don't i don't know i don't know i feel like sorry i think sarah I interrupted you go ahead no 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 you're, you're good no i i was gonna ask another question sort of about this so continue Gosh, I, it, who's telling our stories and who is benefiting from those stories being told and when i say benefit i don't mean who's um profiting because at the end of the day yes it's the organizations when you charge for someone to access your experience be it an immersive art installation or a theme park or a movie or whatever there's a transaction that has been made right you pay me and then you come and have a good time great there's going to be money to be made who's truly benefiting from that story that experience that's being shared and oftentimes it's not the people who are telling it because the people who are telling it is a very small group it's very cis generally it's cis white male um and when, when i say telling these stories i mean the decision makers behind you know these expansive worlds that we're we're going to and it doesn't just have to be a destination i mean if you think about the lines that are being blurred now between ip content gaming location-based entertainment it's all intermixed so it's no longer just the major studios that you can sort of pinpoint and say, well, it's all cis white men. And so we need to change that up. It, it, it impacts publishing. It impacts game development. It impacts, you know, uh, art, visual art. Um, because these are, these are now the source materials from which location-based experiences are, are developed. So who's actually at the writing, who's in the writing room? Who's, who's in the inception stage for this when ideas are getting pitched, when ideas are getting vetted, and why? Who's funding, and, and how is that capital being dispersed? I think those are the, the more closed-door questions that we may not necessarily have access to, but we see it when the final product happens. You see it when it opens. You can tell, mm, there were no black people in that room. You can, you can tell. You know. Or there was one. There was one black <laughs> There was when you when you said who was benefiting, the way that I heard it was who is being soothed by this story, mm. who is really just getting what they need. Like, yes, I checked that box. This story was good, and if it's not the person who is theoretically being featured in it, like maybe that's a problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But I wanted to ask. Um, how have you seen the theme entertainment industry change in your careers? Has it gotten better is what I'm really hoping you're going to say, but <laughs> feel free to answer it. 
however you need to. For who, Nick? I'm gonna pass that to you. Oh wow. Uh, <laughs> okay. Is it getting better? Is a very vague, not vague question, but I think it's very subjective. Um, I would say yes, it is getting better. It is. It's slow, but it's moving in the right direction for the most part. Um, you're definitely seeing op, you know, you're definitely seeing operators address the themes of certain rides. I think, uh, what is it? Uh, Splash Mountain or I can't remember which ride it is. Um, anyway, you, you're, you're definitely seeing operators address the stories they're telling and say to us to some extent, say, Hey, this is probably not appropriate anymore. And let's reskin it. Let's retheme it to something that fits a more general audience. That being said, um, <clears throat> I'm going to pass it back to you because <laughs> I could, um, yeah, let me gather my thoughts a little more. Yeah, I, I think my short answer is no, things are not getting better. Things are status quoing. <laughs> things are staying the same. I think we had an opportunity in 2020 with a lot of things happening um, in collective consciousness where we had a very, very public, high-profile lynching that occurred that we could not ignore. It was not the only one, but it was the one that, for whatever reason, the universe decided we cannot ignore this one. Thank goodness for social media and phones and sharing of information. We had a government system that, for the most part, thrived off of polarization and sort of um, <laughs> hate, for lack of a better word. It, 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 there was profit that was made um, and definitely sought after in debate, in anger, and in, and we saw that across the board, not just in government, but in, quite honestly, Thanksgiving dinner. Um, uh, and then in addition to that, you had a very, very important resurgence of, you know, wokeness. And what does it mean to be accountable on a corporate level and on an individual level? On top of all of that, we had a pandemic. So you are stuck at home with your thoughts, consuming all of this information that's happening. So there was just no way around it. We had to address the elephant in the room as a nation, as individuals, as family members, as businesses. And we had to ask really hard questions about, are, are we doing our part? And it's not just enough about putting a, a black square on your social media page for a month or whatever, but like truly what are we doing? And that was exciting because for a short window, there was a sense of dialogue. Organizations were formed based on the, the urgency of diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives being included, you know, part of the collective consciousness. And it felt like there was movement, there was momentum. And then I feel like with a lot of things that happen in a capitalist society and themed entertainment ultimately is capital driven, you know, we're not, we don't thrive off of volunteer work and altruism. We are here to make money. And so when you are beholden to your ROI and your bottom dollar, at some point you got to put all the nice things aside and make a choice and decide whether you're going to be about profit or if you're going to truly be about social initiative and doing good. And a lot of times the long-term value of consciousness and social initiative aren't given enough weight against pure profit where profit wins. And so what I feel like we are going through now is almost a convenient 
uh, return to the status quo, which is do just enough to not get people tweeting about you and canceling you. Um, hire just enough roles to put out a really great press release to feel good about your organization. Um, the infrastructure, the sort of underground railroad of, of empowering narratives and social capital still doesn't really exist and still isn't equitable or accessible by a lot of individuals as designers or as creators or, or even uh, on the producerial side. So I do fear that we are returning a little bit to the safety and comfort of let others do it. We'll just go about our business and stay, try to stay profitable. And rightfully so, people have experienced a lot of loss. So I am I'm nervous. I, I, I don't, um, I think there's more urgency in folks that do have a platform in whatever industry they are um, and to use organizations like Big Break and the MTETV to be able to still put a spotlight on these conversations that um, are conveniently getting left to just February of the year. Yeah. Um, Nick, do you want to respond to that? Yeah, I'll respond to that. I'll respond to that by saying, you know, free, if you taught a class, I would hate it. I would enroll in that class. <laughs> you would hate it? I am very much into everything that you have to say. <laughs> you're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, we're definitely, definitely is apparent that we're moving back towards that status quo of do just enough, you know, put up your rainbow flag, put up your brown heart, your black heart, your, your you know, black fist emoji, just enough so that people feel satiated and you can return back to making the money that you came to make. Mm -hmm. There is no, <clears throat> I, I tell my clients often, um, you can't, you can't always fix everything. You can't always, you know, I'm working on a project right now that is a, a 1920s train that we are turning into a themed entertainment experience. And a lot of what comes up is uh, ADA accessibility. And unfortunately, without redoing the entire structure of the train, some portions of that are just not, you know, wheelchair accessible. But I tell my clients often, intention is key. Mm -hmm. If you can't do everything, if you can at least show that there was an intent, show that you are trying, show that, look, we, we may not be able to do it right now, but it's on our minds and it's it's top of next year's budget and you know xyz we are we're working on it and we hear you we see you our intention is to make this enjoyable for everyone <sighs> yeah there's <laughs> I don't know. um yeah there's a there's a lot to be done there's a lot to be undone for that matter and i think we're we're finding ourselves in a situation where we're constantly being told you know why aren't these stories more important? And it's like, well, we, we did our marketing and we asked around and people weren't interested in hearing those stories. Okay. So, you know, who are you asking? Who are you talking to? Who, who are said people? Um, and some, you know, the, the customer's always right is wrong, by the way. Uh, oh, yeah. Sometimes people don't know what they want to hear until you tell, tell it to them. And they're like, I had no idea that that was such a cool thing that I could learn about. So I think there's going to be, I think a time is coming and should come where organizations need to find more integrity and need to either stand up for what they believe or stand up for what they believe in. 
And if what you believe in is money over people, then just stand up and say that. And if if you actually do care and want to make a change then say that and start working towards making those changes. But I, I think this pendulum is only going to swing in one direction for so long before we start to force it to go back the other way. If you think about it, we're almost like as an industry, I feel like we're um, designing ourselves into a corner because the one of the, the main things that you're always sort of pushing toward is how can you maximize your audience attendance, meaning how do you make an experience that everyone can enjoy? And what that means unconsciously is that you're either diluting whatever the experience would be because you want it to be just enough bite size for everyone to take in, or you are focusing on the most high level, you know, um, <laughs> high, the most high surface approach to any narrative. Right. You don't want to, you, you dare not go deeper because you risk getting people bored, offended, canceled, what have you. So I, I think it's an interesting situation where designers almost are learning to unlearn what has been so common, you know, for the last 20, 30 years. And I think the new approach or the, the new, I guess, blueprint for inclusivity isn't trying to please most, but it's saying, Let's really make sure that we are addressing all the challenges. And in so doing, we're allowing everyone to have a heightened experience as opposed to just making sure that a few people can maybe do a portion of this. If you're talking about AD and accessibility, as opposed to, no, why, sh why shouldn't everyone have the best experience? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just it's that, that one size fit all or you know, universal guest experience. Uh, angle is something that people are having to unlearn because maybe it should be more uncomfortable. Maybe entertainment shouldn't be the main measurement of su success. Maybe discomfort and dialogue and uh, awareness can also be entertainment. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Right. I well, think there's a level of exclusivity too. And by exclusivity, what I mean is because we can't make everyone feel included, then let's jump to the multiverse and now no one. Yeah. Now we're going to go to people that are purple. We're going to go to aliens. They've got 12 years. You know, now now nobody gets a piece of the pie. We're just going no to have to next <laughs> You ruined it for everyone. So, yeah, I mean, there is that level of uncomfortability that should exist that I know entertainment and theme parks and so on and so forth are meant to be a, a break from the everyday troubles. But at the same time, they're also meant to learn and teach and reach and inform. So... Be, open, be more open-minded, be ready to be informed, be ready to be reached and taught. Yeah. We, we do have a question from the audience, if y'all are uh, ready. It's, what do y'all think of so-called cancel culture? And I think this is a very open-ended question. Is it useful? Is it useful? Have you participated in it? Have you been the victim? Have you been canceled? What are y'all's thoughts? Um. Well, interesting. I love that. Hi, Patrick. I love that you use the word so-called because it, I mean, it, it is cancel culture or it's not. And that, that's what we're in right now. So even the the back and forth about it, I think I, I get what you're going at with calling it so-called because others have different terms for it. I mean, it's base about accountability. Um, it's accountability culture. It's holding individuals and institutions and organizations um, accountable for the history, but also dressing unanswered questions as a way to move forward. So cancel culture to me isn't necessarily about being good or bad as it is saying, 
there's a whole spectrum of conversation that needs to happen when, when you really are held accountable. It's about just acknowledging what the grievance is, where you went wrong as an organization, what steps are being taken now to write that internally or forward facing, and where, where are you headed in 100 years, in 50 years, in five months, and transparency and letting people see that so that they can believe you. Because if they believe you, they buy into your brand, they consume what you're putting out there, and they become ambassadors for you moving forward. So it actually is a good thing if you can be held accountable and sort of meet your end of the bargain. On the flip side, I do think that oftentimes um, if you are so reliant on you know, the wave and the mob of reaction to you, that tells me that you as an individual, as a designer, as a creator, as, a, as an organization, are not clear on your North Star. You're not clear on your why. So there's going to be people pushing and hugging, opinion, not going to please everyone. But if you as an organization don't know where you're headed and you don't, you're not clear on your why, then yes, you will be susceptible to that wave. And it's going to feel like cancel culture when it in fact isn't. So it, it goes both ways. Yeah. Nick, what do you think? Welcome back. Um, yeah, cancel culture is, I think cancel culture is real. It definitely exists. Um, I think it suffers from the same bad branding as something like defund the police, where it's, I think the principles are there in terms of we want to pivot money away from certain organizations and towards others that help address systemic root issues. Um, and I think with cancel culture, it's been demonized to say this person is no longer allowed to have thoughts, opinions, or uh, any kind of free speech. When in fact, cancel culture is really, we're canceling that idea. Mm -hmm. We're canceling your behavior towards this thing. Um, just like Free said, a, a, find, find your North Star and figure out what, what your why is, why you're saying that, why you're coming at it from that space, and why you're probably wrong. Uh, which is why I've been canceled in the first place and <laughs> understand that there is a path and there is the ability to rectify or because sometimes people misspeak, right? I haven't been canceled yet, fortunately, so far, um, <clears throat> but I've definitely misspoken in the past. And I want to get to a point where I have a platform big enough where I can be canceled. Right. <laughs> that means as soon as I get that platform, the first thing I'm doing is getting canceled. <laughs> right. <laughs> now that I have your attention, oh, I'm going to say some things. I have some things. I don't want to be with people. Um, yeah, cancel culture is, it's real. And it's in these streets, just like the struggle. Yeah. So you guys have talked about the North Star, your why, like needing to have, I'm going to go back a little bit further, needing to have people in the room so that you can have a North Star, that you are very firm on your goals and who you're going to include. Um, so I have a question about if this is something we see that we need, why is it still so hard to get into this industry? Why do we need a big break? Why? Mm. Just why? Please tell me. <laughs> I used to work for an organization and as we all have, and um, at this organization, I, I was having a brief chat with the director of HR, and we were having a conversation about race, about initiatives, about low-hanging fruit. And she said bluntly, look, there's a lot of unconscious bias to address. 
I'm going to be completely honest with you. White guys hire white guys. I think people have the tendency to hire others that look like them, uh, be it conscious or unconscious. So I think because you are coming into an organization, into an industry that is in a country that is predominantly run, managed, organized by a certain group of people, they are more likely to hire and advocate for and work with and network with and live around others who look like and grew up like them. I think our society is not great at embracing our differences and instead we let those differences drive us apart. And so I think we're very nice and cordial in the boardroom. And then once we're out of there, you know, I get in my car and do a certain thing and you get in your car and do a certain thing. And we don't talk or socialize or communicate really until we're back in that boardroom again. And that is, that is problematic. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there's also the whole issue of, oh, well, it's really hard to hire people of color because they're just not interested in this industry or in this field. So there's the systemic issue around why there's not more people of color, specifically black people in theme entertainment. And not and not just at the front gates or or walking, you know, around whatever the experience is, but actually in that room making the decisions. And um, why they're not there, I couldn't. Yeah, I don't want to get canceled, so I'm going to pass it back. <laughs> it's a big question. Comfort. I mean, we in our our industry, um, you know, themed entertainment industry has a multitude of events. Um, a lot of them are business events that are about trade associations coming together and people networking and doing business and literally, hopefully working together. Um, and those business deals are based off of relationships that go many, many, many years. Um, and then some of, the, some of the events that happen are truly just social networking events. Um, and, you know, in a recent uh, industry event that was official sort of, you know, gathering for like-minded thinkers and designers to hopefully learn and be inspired and, and to have business from each other. You know, there's an informal question that was asked. Um, and basically the question was, you know, how many of you are more, more likely to hire people that you know? And I would say 90% of the hands in the room went up. And I got to tell you, that was, that was so eye-opening for me because it was honest and it wasn't malicious. And that's what I took from it. It wasn't a, oh my gosh, there's some conspiracy of people who want to work with everyone in this room. It was a human confession, a shared human vulnerability, which is, yes, I will more likely hire someone that I know over a new person that I don't know because there's a shorthand there. There's a familiarity. There's a, there's a safe space. So we look at that sort of human connection as, as the reason that underlies why there's a feeling of, of inequity, then part of it is saying it's even more important for us to be uncomfortable, to say, yes, even, be, even though I have the right person for the job who I think in my eyes works, I, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and I'm going to say, how else can I look at this position? How else can I look at this story, this plot, this design approach? Who else am, not, am I not considering? And I feel like the the assumption that you're just going to stumble onto a random person and it's going to be this fanfare of epiphany in terms of that's the hire is also inaccurate because it takes time. It takes work. It takes growing a culture 
within your organization that also feels welcoming enough to attract a diverse pool? What's your pay structure? What kinds of opportunities are you putting in place to allow people and different voices to feel empowered, to feel like they can grow within your organization, to feel like they can drop whatever it is they're doing in wherever part of the world and come and be there. Those systems have to be in place in order to attract those competitive, that competitive talent, but they are there. And if you assume that you're just going to play it safe and work twice as hard to attract a more diverse talent pool the way most minorities have to work twice as hard in order to be acknowledged, then you are lying to yourself if you think you're going to grow or expand as an organization. And that's just full stop. I want that like on a poster in my bedroom. <laughs> on a neon tube lettering. With yes. <laughs> yeah, I would take it. Heartbeat, no questions asked. Um, so <laughs> I guess, yeah, I, I want to transition a little bit to the future. Like clearly we're not going to clean up everything going on right now. There's a lot, but we have so much time in the future to figure it out. So I'm wondering, like, what could themed entertainment do in order to foster social change? Is there anything we're doing right now? What could be done better? Visions. Let's just vision board real quick. Vision board. (laughs) Themed entertainment, a vision board for the themed entertainment industry in the next, in the future, is what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, what what could what could the themed entertainment industry do to foster social change? What can we do to like help humanity along to a greater sense of knowing? Wow. Anything different than what you're doing right now. <laughs> well, I mean, this is the fact that big right now is not quite working. So try something different, try something new, be more experimental, stop focusing on the bottom line. I understand we all have to eat. I've become very accustomed to eating. I want to keep that going. But at the same time, you know, I, I guess growing up, I was always told, you know, each one, teach one. You make it somewhere, you reach back, you help someone behind you. And I think part of the problem that I see on a continued basis is that it's us that constantly have to do the reaching and the teaching and the recruiting and the outreach. Like, at sometimes you don't necessarily want to have the burden of bringing other people that look like you to the table. You are focusing on your job. You're focusing on your advancement and not that you are, it's not like crabs in a barrel where you don't want others that look like you to succeed, but you know, it's just like, just free, like you were saying, like two years ago, we definitely had a, a, a a racial reckoning where we really had the society had to start asking more questions and really confronting where they were. And I think perhaps we've all experienced this where you've got that email, that text message, there's anything I can do, you know, how are you feeling about mm-hmm. all this? Stop mm-hmm. asking me that. How are you feeling about this? If this doesn't make you wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, then you're not doing something right. You should you should look inside yourself and figure out what can you do to help advance this and make this better. Stop coming to me like I'm the arbiter for all things, you know, black. Yeah. No, I I agree. I think I think the fact that, you know, Organizations like Big Break Foundation exist is testing to that. The, to answer your question, Sarah, of like what can the industry do? We need more of this. Big Break should not be carrying the mantle. They should be one of the many avenues and resources that exist in order to feel hurtful, hurtful, represented, and also get funding because ultimately it's all smoke and mirrors unless there's true 
um, investment in funding of people of color. So that is that is empowering to know. And I hope that in the future, there's more big breaks. Um, there's bigger break. There's the biggest break foundation. <laughs> um, and, and then on the flip side, I think this narrative that investing in people of color is not good, that it's about charity as opposed to it actually is good business is so false. I mean, think about movies that broke records because they were unapologetic about black excellence. Mm -hmm. Think about, um, you know, experiences that celebrate womanhood that are not trying to come in to say, oh, you should look like such and such, but no, we are going to focus in on women and women in their full glory of all shapes and sizes as opposed to the status quo. Think about brands in your personal life that you've connected with and why. A lot of times it's because it was unapologetic about what they stood for and you were, you were all in with your dollars. And we know that that's the case with experiences and themed entertainment. The things that tend to be most successful are the ones that are not trying to placate. They're saying, here's who we are, whatever that stands in, and we will attract the folks that want to be part of this. And by the way, those folks are then going to be our brand ambassadors. We're going to share the gospel and invite everyone else they know. And that's what's going to turn into a bigger, bigger return on investment. So diversity actually is good business. It isn't a charity thing. It isn't about, well, we're just doing it for this month. It's actually smart and good business. So that narrative is slowly changing, but I think the more as an industry we can continue to, um, as leaders, as designers, as creators, um, the more we can get behind the kinds of projects that we choose to work on because it's also meeting these goals, that's where it's gonna start. You can't wait for the top down of, you know, bigger IPs or studios to then give you that project. Some of it's going to, it's a little bit of guerrilla warfare. We got to start from the, from the bottom up. And as an organization, as you're pursuing projects, as you're growing your team, do the decision that you're making reflect a more diverse uh, sort of tableau for your organization. And what are you doing about it now? I think if, if for me, you know, coming back to, you, to, to your question of where we can go, there was a, an amazing statistic that I saw that has really haunted me and stuck with me of like America 2050. And it was a statistic that showed that by, the, by that year, um, more people in the United States specifically will, will uh, consider themselves multicultural, mixed race or other. Right. That would be the first time in history that most people in the U.S. will be some shade of brown. That's terrifying for people. That's terrifying because it's a huge paradigm shift. It's a shift in power structure, in politics, in decision-making, in social capital, and in the decisions that are made in terms of entertainment, disposable income. So if we today know that that's inevitable because procreation is a thing and people have babies and it's just natural, then it's actually smart business to think ahead and say, I need to start positioning myself as an organization, be able to meet that demand authentically, not in a condescending way. It is smart business. So I'm, you know, I get, I get worked up y'all, but uh, <laughs> this, these are the things that I just go, it's, it's right in front of us. It's good business. It's good PR. It's good for your culture. It's good for your morale. And it actually just makes for better product that you're putting out into the market. You know, come back to to the kinds of things that we connect with. So, I don't know. It's like how and to second Nick's comment on 
um, just not having to be the ambassador all the time for outreach, for DEI, for design, as well as for operations and hiring. It is possible that that one black person in your office is really just there to be an awesome designer, not to be the DEI professional. They are people who focus on that and are good at that. Hire accordingly. Yeah, you can get certified in DEI. And right? Like and not because of my either. <laughs> that is my <laughs> Yeah, because DEI includes a lot of different things. A lot of things, yes. Yeah. My how rule many, is how if many organizations have you seen posting about and this is no shade on the role of DEI, it is absolutely necessary and integral. Like, why did we wait so long? But the companies that are putting it out there as a as a badge of honor, I go, yeah, but that's not enough. That's not enough. <laughs> so. No, I, I was just going to say my rule is if you can get a degree in it or certification in it, like don't assume you can just do it off the bat. Like, and I think that could be said for anyone who has ever been forced to be a designer and didn't have a degree in design. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, just, just a thought. Speaking to a friend. <laughs> um, we've got about six minutes left. This hour has flown what? by. Oh, I'm not no. kidding. <laughs> um, Sorry, Nick. I had the conversation. Uh, my teeth hurt, so you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> or at least the space where my te teeth used to be hurt, so, so you're totally fine. <laughs> Hashtag for the culture. For the culture. <laughs> gotta, gotta do it. Gotta show up for present. DEI. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I just want to know if you have any like little nuggets of wisdom for people watching this who want to get into this industry. Like, what is making you hopeful? What, what? Let me end this on a positive note. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, maybe so, not. <laughs> no, there's there's positivity. I'm just I'm trying to be conscious. Okay, I'll, I'll gosh. Okay, this is a great example of why I think we're hopeful. Um, two things: statistics are showing right now that the bulk of audience growth is not actually in in with millennials. Me uh, is with Gen Z. Right? That is your, your 25s and youngers. That is the next generation of people who are calling us to task, holding us accountable, that are showing up with their dollars or removing their dollars. And there's power in that. So giving voice to that audience is important. And that was confirmed by the Super Bowl. I'm going to bring a circle to the Super Bowl in the past. I don't know if you guys remember, but like the Super Bowl used to be where you'd go to the halftime show to, to see like, entertainment that was universally acceptable and like was code for old people, right? It was artists from like three generations before that were big enough and had enough global appeal where they were just offensive a little bit, but they like everyone could pronounce their name, even me in Cameroon. Whereas now what I saw yesterday, the artists that were on stage were people that I grew up with. So I'm now considered the old folk, right? And that it was humbling for me, but it was also inspiring because I was like, oh, wow, it's not about me anymore. It's about the next generation. And it's showing in the kinds of content that's out there and the content that's going to resonate and the types of experiences that people are going to buy into. 
So who am I to make myself feel comfortable? I need to put myself out of my comfort zone and look behind and say, yes, I'm in the room, I'm sitting at the table, but if I'm the only black woman in the room, it is my responsibility to make sure that the door is open for someone else to have a voice. It is my responsibility to make sure that the next generation is being mentored in the way that allows them to have their own voice or discover their own voice. That's the that's the mandate. And that's what I look forward to, not just as an individual, but as as more organizations sort of look or act in that way. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we're we're on our way out. No, Nick, Nick, you gotta say something. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the only thing that I can say is we are I'm keeping we pretty vague right now, um, <clears throat> for a certain reason, but we are working on uh, an affinity group for this industry so that there is a place for uh, people to discuss this further. Uh, because I think we always get asked, we always, you know, how can we help? How can we continue the conversation? Well, great. Besides, you know, one time a month, we can talk about this throughout the year. So more details on that will come soon. Um, all I can say is that if you, I, I think one of the big things that has to happen in this industry that, that would help is make everything more transparent. Just do it. I I guess I would say I'm a late comer to this industry because I didn't know it was a thing that I could do. I've always mm -hmm. wanted to do it. I just didn't know that it was a thing I could do because no one came to my elementary school and told me, hey, you can be an Imagineer too. They were like, no, that's a thing for, for them, for those guys and let them have that. So <clears throat> it's doable, it's, it's attainable. And I, I think we have to, as an industry, stop acting like everything is, is there's only so many pieces to the pie. The pie is mm -hmm. enormous. We all have a bite and we can all continue to not only make money, but build things that people enjoy and that entertain and that inform and educate. Don't just be a consumer of the pie. Figure out how to make your own oven and bake your own damn pies. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> love a good pie analogy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think everyone else does too. Wow. Um, yeah, like just there, there is enough. Like we don't have to pretend that there's scarcity. Right. Like this is a thing we all love to be entertained. Like we have been the whole time. I yeah, we just we just gotta stop pretending like it's a limited resource because it doesn't have to be. Right. I agree. All right. Yeah. All right. I guess that's the. I think <laughs> that that was uh, the alarm telling me to wrap it up. There it is. <laughs> um, yeah. So thank you, Free. Thank you, Nick. This was absolutely amazing. Like the last hour has been a complete dream come true for me. Like y'all are amazing. Uh, um, I want to remind all, all the viewers out there that Big Break is a thing you can follow and become involved with. We have a Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. You can subscribe on the website to get emails sent to your inbox. If you want to join the conversation, it is happening. So go ahead, chat with us, reach out, and we will talk to everyone soon. Thank you for joining this very, very special episode of Big Break Foundation.